Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I do think that we, when we're young, we look around. I mean, at least this happened for me. Like I looked around my family and I'm like, okay, we're normal. Everybody else is weird. Right. And they get older and the older you get, you start meeting lots of other people from lots of different places. And you're like, oh, actually, we were the weird ones. They're all normal. Right. Like everybody's so different. And, you know, I started off by saying that I was this this unrepentant idealist who believed that there was nothing that was wrong with the world that couldn't be fixed with the right with the world. But I came to that because Bill Clinton in that same talk said there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed with what's right with America. And I believe that with all of us, every one of us has multitudes inside of us. I have a friend who's 50 pounds into losing 100 pounds. And he, at the beginning, was like, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, of course you can do it because everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to believe that you can do it and start putting one foot in front of the other. And every time you put one foot in front of the other, you develop competence and you go, oh, I've now shown that I have competence to do this thing. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. You wake up one day and you say, today I'm going to eat better. Today I'm going to exercise. The next day you do the same thing and you do the same thing and you do the same thing. And a week, two weeks, three weeks goes by and suddenly you've lost 10 pounds. And then you're like, oh, I actually have the confidence to be able to think that I can lose the hundred. And that's how you do it. Like confidence doesn't come from dreaming. It comes from the display of competence. But doing that is by looking around at the people around you and saying, they can do interesting things. They can do interesting things. I bet I can do interesting things too. Right, competence leads to confidence. Absolutely. How you dare, how you dare. That was the voice of Laura Gassner-Ani. And as you can tell, we had an energetic interview. We went through so many ways that you can live your best life, so many ways that you can own your narrative and change your current situation, your environment. She shares her story of triumph, her story of failures, and how she really found her purpose. I'm hoping as you listen to this interview on this hump day, you start to figure out how to rechart your course if you need that, or just stay motivated if you're already on the path towards your greatness. Hope you enjoyed the interview and make sure you check out all her resources in the show notes. She's got a lot of them and you're going to grow from them. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's episode is with Laura Gassner-Odding. Now, she describes herself as an instigator, motivator, and provocateur who's never met a revolution that she didn't like. Her passion is working with others to be limitless. She wants people to push past their doubts and the indecision that comes from uh, the prevention that allows them to actually act on their big ideas. So the times you have ideation and then you're stuck in a rut, 
We're going to be talking a lot about that. She's also done some amazing things in her 25-year professional career, including serving as presidential appointee in Bill Clinton's White House. She's helped to shape AmeriCorps, and she has also advised many, many notable nonprofits and helped build uh, Montessori School. She's been seen on national TV. She's had a TEDx talk, and she's an all-around uh, you know, advocate for people finding their voice, carving their own path, mastering your leadership voice, as well as building a life of purpose. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hey, Teo. It is great to be here. The pleasure is mine. Now, I was reading your bio, and it's it's definitely varied. You have a lot of interesting things that you do. Uh, the, the commonality there is essentially helping people live a life of purpose and making sure that they do it on their on their own terms and maximize their potential. But I'm always curious about the behind the scenes because obviously before you got here, you must have had some ruts of your own. You must have had some interesting uh, turning points where you had to take the road less traveled. And I'm very curious about that and how that led to the path you're on today. So my career has always been marked by a trend of wanting to change the world, wanting to leave the world a better place than I found it, wanting to be the very best version of the person that I could be and to help others do that as well. I grew up as this unrepentant idealist. I just thought the world could be a, like, there's nothing wrong with the world that we can't fix it with what's right with the world. And I wanted to be in the center of that. And I thought, well, who makes the big changes? Politicians. Now, all of your millennials that are listening are going, politician, no way. <laughs> but there was a time back in the day where we looked to our leaders and we thought they're amazing and they have the answers. And I was one of those young idealists. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to run for office and become the first female senator from the great state of Florida, then I should go to law school because that's what politicians do, right? They have legal backgrounds. Now, it turns out that there's lots of other ways to go into politics. And it also turns out that there still hasn't been a female senator from the great state of Florida. So that job is still open. Uh -huh. um, but uh, I, I followed that path. I went to law school and I sat down the very first day of law school and I looked around and I was all of 20 because I was a bit of an overachiever. And I looked around and I saw all of the older students um, in this January class. I started in the January class because I graduated early from from college. Um, and they were showing pictures of their kids and their grandkids to each other. And they were having these, you know, moments where they were, they were starting over. And I looked at them and I thought, God, I can't even go out for drinks at the happy hour legally after class. Like I've made a huge mistake. What am I doing here? I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. And I sat through six weeks of torture in law school and finally realized this isn't for me. This isn't what I want to be doing. And so I did what most people do when they find themselves in a terrible place. I dated the guy that you should never date, right? It was like a full-on self-hating moment. <laughs> so I dated this guy who um, was pretty much useless for everything except for his taste in presidential candidates. And it was raining, and I used to ride my bike to class. And one day he said, well, hey, I'll put your bike in the back of my IROC Z. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit about this guy, you know, <laughs> the back of his muscle car, and uh, I'll drop you off at home. But on the way, I want to stop at this guy's office, he, his local campaign office. He's running for president, and I want to pick up some materials. Because again, back in the day, before the internet, you had to actually go to like a physical space and get papers that had the candidates, um, their, their, um, uh, their views on issues. 
And so I said, Governor who? From where? Arkansas? Not a chance in hell. And then I walked into the office and there in the corner of the office in this little teeny podunk strip mall office in Gainesville, Florida, was this tiny black and white TV with then Governor Bill Clinton telling the story of how he believed that community service in exchange for college tuition would allow young people to help themselves while helping their communities. And I said, yes, that needs to happen. And I got out of the rut of law school by taking myself out of the center of the solution and saying, it's not about me being the person who's going to solve all the problems. It's about getting the right people who need to be in the center to the right place so that they can help solve the problem. And I, in that moment, stopped asking the question, how can I be the one who helps? And I started asking what needs to happen. And when I started asking what needs to happen, suddenly I found the right place for myself vis-a-vis the problem. So I was able to get myself out of the rut by no longer paying full attention to me, but actually paying attention to the, the, the bigger task at hand. And that's how I ended up working in the White House as one of my very first jobs. It's, it's so interesting hearing you talk because I, I've done a lot of research with you and, and I know that you say that happiness through work comes from consciousness. It's like, it's, it's basically what you do matches the who you are. Yes. And yes. as I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing you discover who you are through a lot of the the ideals of maybe, you know, I guess Clinton is who you're talking about. And Clinton, ironically, came from, is it Hope, Arkansas? Hope, Arkansas. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, the way that I know that is because I love romantic comedies. And there was this romantic movie called Definitely Maybe with Ryan Reynolds. And he was playing a Clinton advisor. And he was using this playing with that. But the <laughs> I still believe in a place called Hope. You know, and and it's true. I do think that I do think that we when we're young, we look around. I mean, at least this happened for me. Like I looked around my family and I'm like, okay, we're normal. Everybody else is weird. Right. And then you get older and the older you get, you start meeting lots of other people from lots of different places. And you're like, oh, actually, we were the weird ones. They're all normal. Right. Like everybody's so different. And, you know, I started off by saying that I was this this unrepentant idealist who believed that there was nothing that was wrong with the world that couldn't be fixed with the right with the world. But I came to that because Bill Clinton in that same talk said there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed with what's right with America. And I believe that with all of us, every one of us has multitudes inside of us. I have a friend who's 50 pounds into losing a hundred pounds. And he, at the beginning was like, I don't know if I can do it. And I said, of course you can do it because everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to believe that you can do it and start putting one foot in front of the other. And every time you put one foot in front of the other, you develop competence and you go, oh, I've now shown that I have competence to do this thing. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to lose 100 pounds. You wake up one day and you say, today I'm going to eat better. Today I'm going to exercise. The next day you do the same thing and you do the same thing and you do the same thing. And a week, two weeks, three weeks goes by and suddenly you've lost 10 pounds. And then you're like, oh, I actually have the confidence to be able to think that I can lose the hundred. And that's how you do it. Like confidence doesn't come from dreaming. It comes from the display of competence. But doing that is by looking around at the people around you and saying, they can do interesting things. They can do interesting things. I bet I can do interesting things too. Right. Competence leads to confidence. Absolutely. And and speaking of C words there, just because you love the C word there, the four C words you 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 continually harp on: calling, connection, contribution, and control. I would love you to dive into why you feel like these are four C's you need in order to essentially uh, 
come up with your true definition of success. So we're all handed a scorecard at some point in our life, right? It might be literally a scorecard, like in your, in your high school or university uh, uh, co- career counselor, and they say, you know, is does the job have value? What's the pay? Uh, what's the prestige? What's the title? Who's the leader? What's the mission, et cetera? And we go, okay, well, check, 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 check. It's got these things. It must be worth a lot. But what that leaves out of the equation is the value of the job to you, right? So you're going to value a job, Teo, differently than I'm going to value a job. When I was 21 years old and I was working on that presidential campaign, I was so happy to be worth my weight in ramen soup and sleep on high school gymnasium floors and um, eat cold pizza. I was 21 years old. Now I'm approaching 50 and I'm kind of a princess and I'd rather stay at the Four Seasons than you know sleep at the campground <laughs> because that's who I am today. Um, but everybody's different. So if you're the kind of person who goes, oh, the Four Seasons, actually, ew, I'd much rather wake up at a campsite and, and make my breakfast over you know the, 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 the campfire looking at the sunrise, then if I say I've got a job for you, which offers you a lot of money, but really very little vacation time, and you're thinking that campfire is going to be somewhere out on a remote stream deep into the parks, you're going to need time, not money. But if you were someone that went, oh yeah, the Four Seasons, I could dig that, then you're going to need a lot of money, but you don't necessarily need to get to a lot of time because you know, you're know you going to a nice, beautiful city. So when we think about the value of a job, it really comes down to our own personal rubric of consonants. And consonance is that moment when you're in alignment, when you're in flow, when the very best of what you do is being called upon to solve the problem that you care about deeply, and you're being rewarded for in a way that matters to you. And what I learned in 20 years of doing executive search is that consonance really comes down to those four C's that, that you mentioned, because um, I do like a C word. I like an F word too, but you know, I try to I try to keep it PG. Yeah. Um, it's okay, you can you can use those words here. Well, good. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. So consonance comes down to these four things, and each one of us is going to want and need these things differently from each other, and also differently at every age and at every every life stage. So the first is calling. Right. Calling is some gravitational force, some thing, some idea, some mission, some problem, some business that's bigger than you, right? Something that you want to build, you want to solve, you want to serve. The second is um, connection. How does your work today actually help you to serve that calling? And this really answers the question of, if you called in sick to work tomorrow, would anybody notice? Would anybody care? Would it make a difference in the progress towards serving that calling? The third is contribution. We all want our work to matter. So how does this paycheck, this job, this brand, this company allow you to build the lifestyle that you want, have the flexibility that you need, have the career trajectory you're looking for, or manifest your values um, on a daily basis? And then the last is control. Now, nobody has ever said, I want to ride that roller coaster for an uncertain amount of times in the dark, not really knowing if the if it's if if it's ever been inspected or if the seatbelts work, right? We all want control. We want some sort of autonomy. And in fact, studies will show that that employees would rather take a job with more control than with more power. So we know that autonomy matters. So each one of us 
at every age and at every life stage are going to care about these things differently. Um, and what I learned in the 20 years of doing um, executive search is that we can throw foosball tables and kombucha on tap and ping pong and free dry cleaning and bring your dog to work Fridays at staff members all day long, but that gives them happiness. Happiness recruits, but consonants, this feeling of frictionless belonging, that's what retains and engages. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what strikes me with what you're saying, because I love everything you're saying, consonants to, to calling, connection, uh, contribution and control. These things, by the way, do lead to actually forming healthy habits. And we are in a world where sometimes the habits we promote aren't healthy. And when you list all these things to some people, especially skeptics and critics, they'll say, oh, it's easy for you to say. I mean, of course you, you say that. Look at you. You have your business. You're on national TV. It's easy. But I'm here. These are my circumstances. And these habits are not as easy as, as, it, as you claim to break. What do you normally say to uh, those people who are sort of stuck in their rut and in their way of thinking and can't seem to think outside of themselves to a bigger calling? Well, so... That's a lot of questions in one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so let's so so let's start with people who who can't um, think outside of themselves to a bigger calling because I do believe that that's part of why we get calling wrong. Um, we have this idea that calling has to be this holy thing, right? This lofty purpose, this higher calling. And the truth is that if your calling is saving the whales and curing cancer, then awesome. I salute you. If your cause is building a business, nurturing a family, um, uh, uh, you know, building a bottom line, then awesome. I salute you. And if your calling is buying a beach house and a Maserati, that's cool too, right? Each one of us is going to have a different calling and not all of us are going to care about something that's outside of ourselves and bigger than ourselves. That doesn't mean we can't have consonants and feel like our work actually matters because it may be that right now, the most important thing to you is getting yourself out of debt so that maybe later you can become the philanthropist that you actually care about. But I want to stop cause shaming people, right? I want to, I, I need to come up with a word like service shaming or like something that we mm. do to people and say, oh, well, you're not doing, you're not doing stuff for other people right now. Well, look, my bank doesn't take good karma in exchange for mortgage, no matter how many times I ask. And I spent 20 years working in the nonprofit sector. So I asked a lot. Um, but I, I, I think that your calling is just your calling. And so I think the first way to get out of being in a rut is to stop assigning a rut to something that actually does feel purposeful to us, but that we feel like we have to explain away to other people that we have to, we have to, um, justify to other people. So, you know, the first thing I say to people is I think we just say, screw the Joneses, you know, like all of those fancy friends with their fancy Facebook photos and their perfect Instagram sunsets and, you know, throwing the children up in the air. Everybody's always happy and laughing, you know, them, we all have them. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to stop um, letting them dictate what we should be doing, what we need to be doing, God forbid, what we can't do. And I want us to just decide what our own personal purpose is. I mean, the, 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 the first part of the subtitle of Limitless is how to ignore everybody. So <laughs> I think we have to ignore everybody so that we can carve our own path and live our best life. So I think, I think that's, that's the first piece of it. Yeah. I think the well, second, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say that's literally what you said in the book, limitless. And it's how to ignore everyone, carve your own path and live your own best life. And it's interesting that you bring that up because self-awareness is so key 
And it goes beyond just understanding who you are, but also understanding how you can potentially grow. So yes, yeah. yes. And, yeah. and I think when we're so busy comparing ourselves to everybody else, we don't actually grow because we're trying so hard to fake it till you make it. We're trying to be like everybody else and all us to do if we're successful is get good at being everybody else. That's and that's not tenable, right? Like I used to have staff members who worked for me when I ran my last company and they'd walk into client offices and they would try to pitch them using my words, using my voice, using my cadence, my tenor, my tone, and they'd be terrible. And it wasn't that they weren't good. They just weren't good at being me. Just like I wouldn't be very good if I walked in trying to be them. And it wasn't until they started being themselves that they could own their voice. They could live into their own voice of expertise and leadership and wisdom that they were fantastic. But I think, you know, I, I think fake it till you make it is just terrible because all it does is it, it, it teaches you how to be somebody else and not be yourself. To go back to the first part of the last question you asked, like, it's all well and good. Yeah, here's this person. She's on national TV. She's written this best-selling book, blah, blah, blah. She, you know, she's got it all figured out. What about me? I can't do any of those things right now. I would say we can all do something, right? Mm-hmm. So, so my, I have a 16-year-old. Well, actually, he's a 17. He turned 17 two days ago. So I have a 17-year-old uh, who plays video games from time to time. And he... Uh, There was a day that I had woken up. I was exhausted. I had a bad night of sleep. I just, I was like grumbling in the morning about how I had a chapter due to my publisher and I wasn't going to get any good writing done. And I was just like bemoaning my tale of woe. And he turned to me and he's like, why don't you just go on a side quest? And I was like, well, what's a side quest? I had no idea. Do you play video games? I don't. My brother does. And so I I, uh, I chuckled because I've heard him say something like that to me. Yeah. So here's the beauty of the side quest. If the quest, the main quest is like, go to the castle, slay the dragon, save the princess, right? That's how you win the game. But yeah. if you're hanging out and you just finished the dishes and your friend who you're going to play the video game with is at his house and he hasn't yet finished the dishes because, you know, his mom's lecturing him or something and you're waiting around for him, what can you do? You can either sit and you can say, well, it's all good and well and good for her to tell me all these things, but I can't do that yet. Or you could say, well, I got a farm. I can till my wheat, I can tend my crops, I can take them to the market, I can sell them for money. With that money, I can buy a sword and a horse and some potions so that when the time comes and my friend is there and I'm ready to go, I can jump on my horse, go to the castle, slay the dragon, and save the princess. So for people who are like, yeah, I'd like to make big changes in my life, but... I got to wait for the kids to get out of school. I want to get married. I need to get that promotion. I want to lose the weight. I have to pay off the, the loans. I need to get a new car. Whatever the things are, whether they're real or perceived. P.S. Most of them are probably perceived, but I do admit that some of them may be real. For those of you that are like, I'm not quite sure, there are side quests you can do, like listen to great podcasts like this one, watch TED Talks, read books, attend you know networking events, do informational interviews, all of these things. You have the entire internet at your disposal. You can literally sit at your computer right now and watch a spacewalk millions of miles in, 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 in the sky away from us. Like The world is amazing. Amazing. So there are things that we can all do right now so that even if we're not moving forward on the main path, we're still 
we still have forward progress so that when we're ready and opportunity strikes, look, luck looks a lot like hard work, right? So opportunity comes to those who are prepared and fortune favors the bold. We've heard all of these things, which means that when the opportunity strikes, if you're the one who is who has all the arrows in your quiver, you can jump and head off on that adventure. Everyone else is first going to be gathering their equipment. So spend the time now, gather the equipment so that when you're ready to go on the main quest, boom, you're ahead of the pack. You know, it, it's funny you say that because one of the side quests you took was when you were 39 and you saw the principal of your, uh, of, of, I guess it was one of your kids' elementary school. Yes. I believe Ellen. And she, you saw, you thought that she looked amazing and you were, you're like, well, either you've been really sick or you have a new man. And she, and I was of, like, girl, you look way too good to have been really sick. So what's his <laughs> name? <laughs> right. Right. And, 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 and that led, led you down the path of her introducing you to fitness and you becoming an athlete and you've run three marathons and I'm bringing this up as a segue because that's exactly what you were talking about where you said your son you know said you know suggested why don't you try a side quest and the idea of trying and implementing healthy habits into our lifestyles does have an overall impact into how we attack challenges or opportunities and it also helps elevate our level of preparedness when those type of things happen and so it's interesting you say that but I also love that you've lived it uh, and, and you don't sort of tackle excuses uh, with a lot of bemoaning. Rather, you tackle excuses with actions. Yeah. You know, there's nothing that makes me sadder, like depressed, sad than people being willing to accept mediocrity Mm. and, and, and mediocrity of themselves, right? Like mediocrity of themselves is just so Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Sad. I, I'm, I'm friends with a woman by the name of Carrie Lawrence. And Carrie Lawrence is, um, uh, if you look up the definition of badass in the dictionary, you're going to see her face there. And you're going to see her standing there in her leather dress and her beautiful hair and her beautiful face and her badass power out powerhouse, you know, muscular body. Um, Carrie's a few years older than me and she was the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot in the Navy. So, you know, pretty tough. Yeah. These are the people, pretty, that, that, these are the people that take these, you know, 600, you know, million dollar aircraft and, 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 and land them, take them off and land them like from, the, from a, from a, a jet, carrier in the middle of the ocean, right? Like they, they go from like zero to 600 miles an hour in like three seconds. It's just incredible. And her book, Fearless Leadership actually describes it. I would recommend it to your, to your listeners. Um, 
So Carrie posted something just the other day on social media where she was listening to uh, uh, one of the, 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 the top brass from uh, the Vietnam era talking about um, when they had to go back in to the jungle and rescue soldiers. And what they would say to soldiers, you know, early on in their in their training is there's going to come a moment when there are some of your some of your 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 colleagues, right, your peers, your 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 patriots are going to have to go back in and save you. Be worth the trip. Right. Be the kind of person who is worth the trip, because some of those people might die trying to get you out. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that and it made me realize, you know, when I was writing my book, I actually called her up and I was like, hey, would you maybe consider blurbing my book? And she said, yes, which delighted me to no end because I didn't really know her that well at the time. And then she called me up a couple of days later and she said, and I'm glad you told me that I can curse on the show because there's a blue streak about to come. So trigger warning <laughs> to your listeners. And this is a direct quote. She said, so I read your book and, you know, you're really fucking smart and your book is really fucking good, but your book is too, but you're too fucking smart for your book just to be really fucking good. It needs to be really fucking great. So make it really fucking great, and then I'll blurb the shit out of it. <laughs> okay. Here okay. is your ass handed to you in a little box with a bow on it. Thank you very much for playing. And now I didn't know Carrie that well at the time, but what Carrie then did is she spent 40 – and I said, I know, I know, I know it's good, but I can't figure out how to fix it. And I said, I just, I just decided, I just gave up and decided it was good enough. And she's like, well, that's not going to work. And then she spent 45 minutes on the phone with me. And these are, if you're a professional speaker as I am, yes. as you are, you yeah. know that the 45 minutes, there's a 45 minute block where you get to like, you've done your sound check. You can like go work out, clear your head, be ready, and then go, you know, go on stage. She spent those 45 minutes with me. So that's like a big deal, right? She spent those 45 minutes with me, helping me figure out exactly what was wrong and helped me understand exactly how to make it right. She made sure that my book would be worth the trip, right? So this idea that we are willing to say, you know, I just, it, I couldn't do it. It was too hard. I gave up. It was good enough. That, that, that's not good enough. And I think every time we push ourselves to do something harder, like run my first mile at 38 years old and discover that I'm an athlete or get on the TEDx Cambridge stage in front of 2,600 people with, you know, theater lights and no notes, no net, having never given a public talk before in my life. Like those moments that we push ourselves to do the thing that is like bowel shaking, scary, like those are the moments that we realize what we're made of. Yes. And once you do that, accepting mediocrity is no longer an option. I, I, I share so many similarities with you. Mediocrity is one of my biggest pet peeves. And also, I'm an eternal optimist. I've been accused of being an idealist, although I, I do describe myself as an angry optimist, which leads me to continue to work. But I, I do think and I, I believe in the endless potential of us as individuals and the story of you having someone remind you of the, uh, the of the idea that even you that doesn't strive for mediocrity could go to an extra level is so important. And it, it also highlights the importance of cultivating an environment that is eternally challenging, eternally causing you to grow, eternally causing you to make sure that you don't settle for less. Because sometimes we can get to a comfort level. We might have started off as being, you know, just badasses. And then it's like, well, 
there's another level I can go to. And it, it comes from, you know, who you surround yourself around. So I do think it's very important to be mindful of your environments as you do grow because complacency can set in. Absolutely. You know, that Jim Rohn quote that you're, you know, you're the average of the five people you keep closest to you. I read something the other day that said that, that, that if you have obese friends, you are more likely to become obese. Yes. But, he, but, but, but here's the craziest thing about that. It wasn't if you have local obese friends, you know, like going out and eating and drinking late at night, all the, not, you know, slothful living, like all the stuff that you would think. It's even if you have long distance obese friends, if the majority of the friends that you talk to the most in the day are obese, even if they are far away from you or close to you, you are more likely to be obese. Isn't that incredible? That tells you the power of mindset. Yeah, no, it it is. I was I was reading uh, David Goggins' book, who's another mm-hmm. amazing, and he talked about his his how his mindset had to change for him to drop a few weight, uh, a few pounds, more than a few pounds, over a hundred pounds, to get in, in into the Navy SEAL, and then you know even while I was in Navy SEAL, how he was running ultra marathons and how he had to push past himself. And he calls it like, you know, the, the, I think it's the 40% rule, the 60% rule, where essentially many of us are operating at 40% and there's still an extra 60% that we can give, but we just leave that on the table. And it, it, it's all to do with what's between the two ears. Yes. It, yeah. So, so I, I know you had something I can feel like you're about no, to say. No, I, I, I was thinking, you know, so when I ran my first marathon, um, I, have you ever run a marathon? I haven't. I haven't yet. It's. It's. Uh, I'm. I live in New York, so I should definitely sign up for the New York marathon. You should definitely yeah. sign up for it. Yeah. So. So here's what I didn't. I didn't expect when I ran my first marathon. Now I um, live in Boston, and I. I ran my first mile, and then I was like, oh, I ran a mile. What if I? It took me six weeks to run a mile without like stopping and heaving and puking, and then I did, and I was like, well, what if I could string three of these together? Maybe I could do a 5K, and then I did. And I don't say run a 5K, I say did a 5K because I was so slow that like guys with double joggers were passing me on the uphills, right? Like I did a 5K. But then I was like, what if I could do a 10K? So I did. And then the next thing you know, half marathon. And then I was like, you know, I live in Boston. I should do the Boston Marathon. Now I'm slow as molasses and old as dirt. So um, I wasn't going to qualify for Boston. So I raised money for a charity. Um, but here's what I learned. During marathon, a marathon is 26.2 miles. During marathon training, you run about 20, maybe 21 max. And the idea is, you know, you can do the rest. Like you've gotten yourself into a level of fitness. So I got that. So I was training and things were great. And I was on track to run like a four hour marathon. And, you know, that's like a legit number, right? Like if you go sub four is like a legit number for like a, you know, novice kind of person to run. And I was like, cool, awesome. I can do it. Then marathon Monday rolls around and it's 92 degrees in Boston. So clearly that wasn't going to happen. Now I have this really non-interesting, um, thing called vasovagal syncope, which basically means that I pass out when I give blood or, you know, get really dehydrated or things like that. So running a marathon in 92 degree weather, kind of tricky. Um, but there is a moment where you get to mile 20 and you think, I wonder what happens now. (laughs) (laughs) Am I going to die? Am I going to finish? And there's a voice inside your head that goes, Hey girl, you're going to be a marathoner. No matter what happens, run, walk, crawl. You're somebody's going to put a metal around your neck and one of those giant metallic heat sheets, like a and superhero and you're mm. going to be a marathoner for the rest 
of your life. Awesome. Um, and then there's another voice inside your head that goes, what the hell are you thinking? You're going to die out here. <laughs> and you hear your feet that are, you know, like the souls is melting onto the, the pavement. And you're like, it's like, you're going to die. You're going to pass out. You're going to fall on your face on this pavement and you're going to melt and it's going to be awful. You're going to shit yourself and you're never going to finish. And so you're there. And all you can think is, I've got these two voices inside my head. Only one of them gets to win. And the only person that decides which one gets to win is me. Now, I don't even know my name at this point anymore. My husband met me at mile 16 and put ice cubes in Ziploc bags in my jog bra. And I saw a friend at mile 17 that was like, ice cubes, so smart. And I was like, where'd these come from? I mean, I was delirious. It was 92 degrees. Um, and when you run, your body gets like 20 degrees warmer. So it's like 112, like in my body. And I'm like, literally like baking. Um, but only one of those voices gets to win. And the only way that you can actually continue going is if you surround yourself with people who have put so much positive can-do badass energy into you that that's the tape that you're hearing in your head because those are the only reruns you can access. Absolutely. I love it. You're such an eloquent storyteller, but it always has a point to, to every single thing you're doing. Even your life is a metaphor and your metaphors are life itself, <laughs> if that makes well, any sense. You know even even the book is a metaphor it's funny because the book was originally going to be called purpose how to do work that matters <laughs> and i was kind of like fighting with the editor over and over and over because the tone just didn't feel like me it just didn't have my moxie and my my zest and my like you know screw you we're going to like be the people we want to be we're going to be the people that we've been meant to be and i talked to a friend of mine and he said well what do you want people to feel like when they're when they're done reading the book. And I'm like, I just, I just want them to stop being limited by everybody else's ideas of who they should be and what they should be and what they need to be. And I want them to just ignore them all. And I want them to live their own life. And I want that life to be a great life. And he's like, so you want them to be limitless, ignore everybody, carve their own path and live their best life. <laughs> like, yes. And then I was like, I love you. And I don't talk to you nearly enough, but I need to hang up the phone right the hell now and go write that book. And then I wrote Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path and Live Your Best Life in three weeks because yeah. I suddenly was no longer limited by the traditional publisher and their ideas about the traditional title and what it should be called. Oh, so I wrote my book in three weeks too, uh, it, uh, which is interested. <laughs> People are always like, how did you write a book in three weeks? And I'm like, cause I thought about it for 25 years in three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, actually you're right. Actually it's five weeks. So you beat me by two weeks. It's a month, <laughs> right. Month, so I said like, it, it took yeah. me three weeks to write, but it took me 25 years and three weeks to come up with. That is awesome because I, I, I've been figuring out how to explain that to people. Cause when the publisher, you know, gave me, I signed the book deal in December and they said, and you know, can you do this? by March 1st. And I was like, sure, I can do it. I did, yeah. No, I, I didn't even, I had no, I already, knew, I was so ready to write and yeah. I didn't think of anything. And then when I kept telling my writer friends, they're like, are you insane? It takes me six months, it's eight months. And I, some of that was uh, affecting me a little bit. And then when I just decided to write it in the middle or towards the end of January, I was done by February 29, mm -hmm. 28. Mm -hmm. And I just sat back and it was exactly what you said. I was like, I really should have ignored everybody. I was there freaking out. I was like, did I just say yes too soon? 
<laughs> and here I was, you know, writing 250 pages uh, and, and that kind of thing. And it yeah. is just incredible what can happen when you shut out the noise and focus on your limitless ability to create and build and just attract abundant abundance. You know, it's funny because, you know, now like I'm doing the Today Show and Good Morning America and Good Morning Canada and I'm doing all this stuff. And I took my parents uh, last week. I was in Dallas for my niece's high school graduation. And so my parents were there also. And I took them along to Good Morning Texas. And afterwards, my mother was like, you seem so calm. And I showed her my like, you know, my little my little fitness band um, uh, heartbeat. It was like (laughs) 74 the entire time. It was like a little raised, but not much. And 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 she's like, how can you be so calm? And I said, because. I know the subject better than I know anything on the planet. Like you're not putting me on national live TV to talk about string theory or something. I mean, this is, I know this, like you're going to do math and I'll start sweating, but this, like getting unstuck, getting out of your own way, becoming the greatness that we all know we have inside of us. Yeah. Any day of the week with no warning whatsoever. Yeah. You're competent. Therefore you're confident. And, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well done. <laughs> I, I love doing these things, but I, I'm getting the energy off of you. And as we, as we get ready to go to the back end, uh, back end of the interview, I want to give you a chance to uh, do two things. One, plug your li- limitless life assessment. Yes. As well as talk about what it's like to prepare as a thought leader. Because what's happened with your career is, you, you know, you, all the research, 25 years plus of your research has positioned you as a thought leader in this space where you now not only have a book, you go on a national media, but you speak to potentially coach. And there are many listeners who are sort of having this negative self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, you know, I have all these ideas in my head, but I don't know if anyone will listen to me. I don't know how to communicate my ideas in a way where it's, it's, uh, it's consumable. So if you could share some tips on how to take everything you've done in your life and turn that into something that an audience can grasp, that would be amazing. So let's start oh, off with wow. your little, yeah. So let's start off with the assessment. You can plug that and then we'll talk about how. Yeah. You okay. Do. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's easy. So, um, limitlessassessment.com. And I'll say that again for people who are driving, limitlessassessment.com um, is, it's a 15 minute quiz. So it takes a little bit of time. It's some pretty intense questions. Cause as you may have gathered from this podcast, I'm a pretty intense person. Um, and it will help you to understand exactly how much calling connection contribution and control you'd like to have in your life. And then also how much of each you do have currently in your life and where you see that there, there'll be two little radar charts at the end and you'll see they'll either overlap where you're perfectly in consonance or they will not overlap where you're in dissonance. And it will give you some tips about things that you can do right now today to help put yourself um, in a better state of consonance. So that's the quiz at limitlessassessment.com. In terms of how to, how to start packaging your idea so that the world will listen, that is a fascinating question and one I've not ever been asked, but I actually literally just wrote a blog post yesterday about that very topic about, (laughs) and and it's a, we were clearly aligned. Um, but I would say, um, if there are topics that are interesting to you, you think you want to get out into the world. Lots of people will say things like, um, like, like, uh, well, write, write every day. And that's how you, that's how you get it out. And you know, the writers are going to send me hate mail because, you know, they're writers. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily the way to do it. I think the way to start getting your ideas out into the world is to think 
and talk about them every day. Let other people engage with your ideas. Don't just keep them hidden. Let people engage with them. Let them beat them up. Um, defend them to yourself, defend them to other people, because in the talking about it, you will, and in the listening to other people reacting to it, you will, um, you will both get depth about the idea and nuance around the idea that you would not have had otherwise. And like I said, it took me three weeks to write the book. It took you five weeks to write the book, but it's because we spent so much time talking and thinking about it with other people that we were able to have such a clear vision of what that idea actually is. So I would say the first thing is to, is to spend time engaging with the idea, get just, you know, like just take it to the dance, you know, like get, get dirty with it. And, and you may find, I mean, I have certainly found that there have been ideas that I thought I had pretty clearly that by the time I wrapped all the way around the conversations, I realized I disagree with myself. In the beginning, and it was actually stronger. And and in fact, I was able to find my way into the way I wanted to write about it because I was able to have conversations and actually see what resonated with people and what didn't. So that's the first. The second is I think we spend a lot of time giving away our gold. You know, we spend a lot of time clearing out our inboxes, um, sitting in the can I pick your brain meetings, answering the flaming, you know, hair screaming people that come running in with their emergencies. And it turns out that, you know, that's those not our those are not our emergencies and we can't serve our true calling if we're busy dealing with everyone else's lack of planning. So think about where you are when you're at your very best. For me, um, I, I, I'm a competitive rower. I get off the water at seven in the morning. I come home. I take I sit down at my computer and I block out the world and I write for a couple hours. I've got endorphins. I've got energy. I'm, I've, I've just seen the sunrise. I've spent time, you know, doing something that's physically exhausting. So I'm all mentally there. And that's when I am at my most creative. For other people, maybe they're night owls. For other people, maybe it's the middle of the day. But for everybody, it's a different time. And I would think about when are you at your very, very absolute most creative, and then block out time at least a few times a week to just spit stuff onto the page because that's where you'll you know start seeing the iterations of what you've done. And then the third thing that I would say is you know every productivity hack in the world says oh make a public commitment to 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 your to your deadline when you're going to get it done. And I think that's horseshit. I think that then it all that does is force you to get something done at a certain time. I would make a public commitment to the level of quality that you want something done at. And then I would build yourself a sidecar and your little motorcycle. And I'd put the biggest, toughest, meanest, most truth-telling badass you can find in it. In my case, Carrie Lorenz. And I'd put them in your sidecar and I'd have them hold you accountable so that when you send them something that you think is good enough, they go, eh, no, mediocrity, make it better. <laughs> ah, no, that is amazing. That's amazing, Laura. So it, essentially, Talk out, workshop your ideas. You you know, I'm some I'm I'm a writer as well as a speaker, so I, I sort of do the both, <laughs> where I, I I write off and I write every day because I start off with poetry, but I'm always because uh, I, I run a diversity and inclusion firm. I'm always in places where people disagree with me, or they might not even like the way I look, <laughs> because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, as a black man. But I I am always workshopping different ideas to be able to defend myself and also maybe uh, give them an, an idea to see within from a different perspective. And it's always forced me, that habit of constantly being in different worlds has forced me to be able to articulate things from multiple perspectives. That helps with that. And then find your creative peaks. You know, when those times you feel like your endorphins are the highest, is morning, is mid-afternoon, is in the evening, 
work towards that. That's the best yeah, way to optimize And protect them with everything you have. I mean, yes. what I do is I make that appointment with myself every single day. And then I only let myself cancel that appointment twice a week. Because the truth is, if somebody wants to pick my brain about something, I don't have to give them the, you know, 7.30 in the morning on a Monday. I can yeah. give them, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday. And frankly, if they don't want 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, then they can pick somebody else's damn brain. That's true. That's true. I do I, I do have a calendar, but there are certain hours that I block off because of exactly what you said. And, you know, you have to factor in what type of rest you need and maybe just the things you need to do. Like, I love walking just for endless blocks in New York City, and I need to carve time for that and working out in the gym. And then, um, you know, the last thing you were saying is the public declaration of, of excellent yes. content. So it's at the, the, the caveat that's excellent. So who can you, who in your corner do you have to, to make sure that you can, you know, share some of these things with to make sure right. that uh, we get there? Make oh. it worth the trip, right? Make it, make it worth the trip. Oh, I love this. We're getting ready to close here. So I, I always ask my guests this this question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference, right? That's what my my life uh, is based on. And I always rephrase that in the form of a question to my guests. So, Laura, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, I like to get people unstuck. <laughs> mm. It's what I do. I, I, my superpower is that I'm able to see the greatness in other people in a way that they've maybe never seen it before, or if they have, they've never really been able to believe in it fully. And so once they can see it and once they can believe in it fully, they're able to accomplish incredible things because we all have multitudes inside of us. We just need somebody to help us open the door sometimes. Well said. I love it. We were We've just been talking to Laura Gassner Odding, and she is the author of this amazing book called Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. I'm going to put the links to that in the show notes, as well as her TEDx talk and uh, links to her assessment. But as you've heard in this interview, the energy is, is, is very contagious, and she is really relentless in making sure that you are not limited by your mindset or your worldview. Rather, you do tap into the limitless potential that you have in order to make an impact in today's world. I just, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and being this transparent. Well, thank you. I had a great time. All of my good friends call me LGO, so people can find me at HeyLGO on all the socials or HeyLGO.com as well. HeyLGO.com, LGO on all the socials. Those will also be added to, to the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And ladies, gentlemen, and non-conforming um, adults and kids, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.